The Seahawks doubled up at the tackle position in the 2022 NFL draft. What are some of Abraham Lucas's biggest strengths and weaknesses heading into the NFL? I'll be breaking down his game in our latest Blue Friday installment of Locked on Seahawks. You are locked on Seahawks. Your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Greetings, 12s. This is Corbin Smith, your host for Locked On Seahawks. Happy Blue Friday to all the 12s out there. As always, thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We've got rookie minicamp upon us here. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, the Seahawks will be bringing in their draft picks, undrafted rookie signings, and of course, some tryout players to kickstart their offseason program. And for all these rookies, their first chance to see an NFL practice field. And the assessments begin for the coaching staff as we get closer to the 2022 season. I'll be breaking down some of those signings that were announced today by the Seahawks, answering your mailbag questions in our weekly mailbag. And I'll be continuing our Inside the Seahawks series, checking out Abraham Lucas, the third round pick from Washington State. Jam-packed episode coming your way, so let's get to it. Now for your lead story here on Locked on Seahawks. Mere hours away from the start of their annual rookie minicamp, the Seahawks signed four of their nine draft picks and 14 undrafted rookie free agents. As expected, this is usually how this plays out. The Seahawks are signing their late round picks first. You have players that are usually in the fifth, sixth, seventh round that are going to be making around $705,000 as rookies. Those players usually are the first ones that sign their contracts, and all these deals are slotted. So even your first-round picks now, you don't see the holdouts that you used to see with the old CBA. That's changed. You don't see that because they have slotted salaries. Players aren't negotiating for what their contracts are going to look like for the most part. There's some offset language that sometimes leads to a little bit of a dispute, but these typically are taken care of. So Charles Cross will eventually be signed here in the near future by the Seahawks, but they did sign both their fifth round picks. You have Tyree Smith out of Ohio State, as well as Tariq Woolen out of UTSA. And they also signed both their seventh round picks, receivers Bo Melton and Dariq Young. So those four players will be under contract when the Seahawks open their rookie minicamp today. Excited to get on the field and begin their NFL careers. As far as the undrafted rookies, the Seahawks did a good job here of signing players at positions that they didn't necessarily address during the draft. They signed four safeties, including Bubba Bolden from Miami and Deontay Williams from Nebraska, Scott Nelson from Wisconsin, and then you've got Joey Blunt from Virginia. So they really went after the safeties, even though that is not a huge position of need in the present. They do have players like Ryan Neal, Ugo Amadi, and Marquise Blair that are going to be free agents after the 2022 season. So having a player or two at that spot to develop, maybe practice squad guys, would be a really smart move right now looking towards the future. So not surprised to see the Seahawks were aggressive on that front. At the quarterback position, they signed Levi Lewis out of Louisiana, and he doesn't look like an NFL quarterback. He's under 5'9". He measured in at 5'8 and a half at Louisiana's Pro Day, 187 pounds. So this is not a big guy, but he completed 64% of his passes for the Raging Cajuns in his career. School record 74 touchdown passes, just 18 interceptions, over 1,000 rushing yards, 14 rushing touchdowns. 
And Louisiana went 13-1, and the best record in program history last year with him under center. So this is a player the Seahawks, according to John Schneider, were very excited to sign. And they'll get to see him for the first time on the practice field this weekend. Give him a chance to get jump-started and see where he fits into that quarterback room going into the 2022 season. Looking at the rest of the undrafted signings, I don't have all 14 lists here, ran out of room, but here's the most notable ones. Again, the Seahawks being very aggressive at the safety position with Joey Blunt, Bubba Bolden. Bolden's a guy that'll come up and hit you. So as a special teams player, there's a lot of value there. Scott Nelson and Deontay Williams, the other two safeties. Shamarius Gilmore is a very intriguing guard out of Georgia State. 6'2", 301 pounds, ran a 4.39 second short shuttle which was almost as fast as fourth-round pick Kobe Bryant, a cornerback. So this dude's got really good athleticism for his sides, over 4,000 snaps at Georgia State. So he's played a lot of football coming into the NFL. Matt Gotell from West Florida, 6'1", 341 pounds, really big defensive tackle that'll get some looks at the nose position. Jake Herslow, receiver from Houston, Levi Jones, the linebacker from North Carolina State, Cade Brewer, the tight end from Texas, and former five-star recruit Demetrius Robertson from Auburn. A few other names of note here, and I'm going to butcher this one. Uh, Josh Onajugo from Framingham State, a Division II school, had 13 and a half sacks last year. He was signed. Josh Valentine Turner, the corner from Florida International, and John Mitchell, the tight end from Florida Atlantic. All 14 of those players were signed, and now they'll get a chance to see where they fit into Seattle's plans heading towards training camp. And this is a team that has had a lot of success with undrafted rookies in the past. I think this year it's going to be much tougher sledding. Last season, the Seahawks had three draft picks. So undrafted rookies didn't have near as much competition to go up against. And that gave players like John Radigan a chance to be able to play and make the roster eventually it's going to be really tough for the guys that are on this crop of undrafted rookies to be able to make this team with having nine draft picks and all the free agent moves that the Seahawks made. Only going to be so many spots open on that 53-man roster. But again, all it takes is just coming in and impressing. And Pete Carroll and John Schneider, they will give you a roster spot. And so, as always, really excited to see what this crop of rookies looks like as they go through rookie minicamp, and then we get deeper into the offseason program. Obviously, veterans will be showing up this year for your OTAs. Mandatory minicamp, the Seahawks are switching it up a little bit this year. Normally, mandatory minicamp is after their 10 OTA practices, but that is not the case this year. Pete Carroll plugged it into the middle of OTAs, and it's during the middle of the week, no weekends. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact they weren't able to get many veterans to their offseason program last year. Pete Carroll's trying to make it more incentivized here for veterans to come out. And when you're coming off a 7-10 and 10 season with all the changes they've had, this is going to be a critical offseason program, especially on defense with the new coaching staff that the Seahawks have. So he wants to get as many of those players there for the mandatory minicamp as possible. So they're going to be doing that from Tuesday through Thursday in early June in the middle of OTAs. This rookie minicamp, though, is a great chance to get things rolling, get some of these young players in, see what they can bring to the table, get some NFL practices under their belt before they get thrown into the wolves with the veterans. So this is one of the exciting times of year, and I would anticipate that in the next couple of days there will be more rookies that sign their contracts. Usually draft classes get signed by late May at this point in time because of the CBA. Again, slotted contracts, not having much to negotiate, 
for rookies coming into the league makes this process much easier for teams to be able to get their players in. And the guys that aren't signed, they'll sign waivers to be able to participate in this three-day rookie minicamp. So you will see guys like Charles Cross out there on the field, the first practices as Seattle Seahawks. Coming up next, I'm going to answer your questions in our weekly mailbag segment. Tons of questions from you, the 12s. This episode is brought to you by Blue Nile with Mother's Day coming up right around the corner. Whether she prefers a statement piece or everyday subtle elegance, BlueNile.com has fine jewelry options for every mom. Shop high quality, classic diamond earrings, elegant tennis bracelets, or gemstone pendant necklaces. Blue Nile has jewelry experts on hand 24-7, available via phone or chat to help you find a memorable gift that fits into every budget. This Mother's Day, give mom something she'll treasure forever with fine jewelry from BlueNile.com. And Locked On Sports listeners get $50 off $500 spent. This podcast exclusive is only good through Mother's Day, so use the code Locked On. Again, that's the code Locked On. Every order is insured, ships free, and arrives in discreet packaging that won't give away what's inside. Shop stress-free and find your forever piece. Go to BlueNile.com today. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting stats and sports information. Find all the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs, Major League Baseball, and this weekend's Run to the Roses as the Kentucky Derby returns. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports and waging informational needs, whether it's live betting, the playoffs, esports, much more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. As always, greatly appreciate you making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. It's time for our weekly mailbag segment. We usually do it on Thursday, but with so much going on in post-draft, there's been a ton of content to discuss. Finally able to get to some of your questions, and there's a bunch of good ones this week, so let's get to it. First one coming from Think and Unify Tweets. What value could Nick Foles bring to the Seahawks if signed? So I don't want to say that there's absolutely no value with Nick Foles because obviously he's been a capable quarterback in the NFL. He has won a Super Bowl with the Philadelphia Eagles. They lost Carson Wentz for the season. He stepped into the lineup and he put that team on his shoulders, made some big plays, and they got the Lombardi Trophy. He's had a few seasons where he has been a top 10, top 15 caliber starter, but that was a long time ago. I think that he would offer no value to the Seattle Seahawks right now. What what good is it going to do to sign a player like Nick Foles, who's now well into his 30s? It's been several years since he showed that he was a capable starter in the league. I mean, the Chicago Bears just released him, and the Bears don't exactly have a great quarterback situation. I still think Justin Fields could be a very good one, but... They've got a lot of things they got to figure out developing him. That is not a place that's had much success with quarterbacks. He couldn't win a starting job and hold it in Jacksonville a few years back. I just, at this point, I don't see any reason to bring him in. I'm sure Pete Carroll could make the argument about competition, but I mean, Drew Locke is a significantly younger version of him with more athleticism. Geno Smith has honestly played better in recent history than what Nick Foles has last year in those three starts for the Seahawks. And Jacob Eason's got a lot of upside with his physical tools. I just don't see any value in signing him. I don't think it's going to happen. If they're going to add to the quarterback room, 
you know, there are some other possibilities out there. But at this point, it seems to me like they are ready to go forward with Drew Locke and Geno Smith and Jacob Easton as their quarterbacks and maybe give Levi Lewis a little bit of a look as an undrafted rookie signing. Next question from DJ Rowdy tweets going off this last question. Do you see Seattle going after Baker Mayfield if he gets cut from the Browns? If Mayfield gets cut, I've been saying this all along. If he is cut outright and the Seahawks don't have to worry about paying really any of that huge salary that he's due, almost $19 million in guaranteed salary for the Browns right now, if they don't have to pay most of that and they can get him for $1.5 to $2 million, then I could see Pete Carroll and John Schneider kicking the tires there. But based on what I have been told in the last couple of weeks, and this was leading up to the draft too, the interest in Mayfield has been lukewarm. There have been some conversations with the Cleveland Browns, but ultimately the Seahawks have no interest in paying the price tag. They don't want to give up draft picks for him. And the sense in the league is that nobody wants to help the Cleveland Browns because they're upset that they gave Deshaun Watson a fully guaranteed contract. I mean, NFL owners and, and GMs hold grudges against a team that makes a market-changing decision like that, particularly for a player that's dealing with the legal issues that Deshaun Watson is. So I, I, I'm not going to say it's impossible, and I've been saying all along that there could be a fit for Baker Mayfield. If he's released, then that opens the door for the Seahawks to go get him at their price. But they're certainly not going to be trading for him at this point. And it seems like the interest in him is pretty minimal at this stage. Again, they are confident in Drew Locke and Geno Smith going into the season, whether fans agree with that or not. That seems to be the route they want to take. And the things they said on March 16th about Drew Locke, believing in him, thinking the tools are there to be a starter, they've backed those up by not drafting a quarterback and not going out and trading for a proven starting quarterback like a Baker Mayfield. So we'll see what happens. There's a long game to this as well with a great quarterback class coming in next year, but Pete Carroll's been insisting the Seahawks are going to be competitive, and that will likely be with either Drew Locke or Geno Smith playing quarterback. Lidio Hamadi tweets, if Seattle cuts Chris Carson, they will have even more cap space. What free agent should they go after that will help this team improve even more? So John Schneider's always looking to add to the roster when we get to this time of year. There's never a stoppage in that. He's constantly looking for ways to improve this team. But I think when you consider where the Seahawks are at right now, they are in the midst of a rebuild, whether John Schneider and Pete Carroll want to use that word. No Russell Wilson, no Bobby Wagner. You just drafted nine players. You're probably going to have two rookie tackles starting for you, at least at some point this year. I mean, this is a team that is in a transition, and I can't see them going out and signing a bunch of veteran players in the third wave of free agency right now. Even if they cut Chris Carson, which is certainly a possibility, that would be with a failed physical, they could do that after June 1st. I could see that happen. In fact, right now, if I had to make a prediction, that's probably what I think is going to happen. But I don't see them really making any other notable signings. They don't need to add any other tackles that are big names. They're not going to be bringing back Dwayne Brown now with Charles Cross being their number nine pick. That's just not going to happen. Maybe somebody like Jadevian Clowney could come back if they're wanting to add another versatile pass rusher that has experience playing in a 3-4 and they know well from his year in Seattle. 
But aside from that, I just can't see. Maybe they'll add a few veterans that are kind of camp bodies. I don't see any like big name moves though, where they're going to be going out and adding a guy that was a Pro Bowler or an established starter. I just don't see any moves. I think the roster as is is going to be close to what we see when camp opens the end of July. Fun Times tweets: Was Carlos Dunlap cut because he didn't fit the new scheme, or the Seahawks wanted to save cap space? Yes, all of the above. Uh, there were several factors at play here. Last year, the Seahawks were leaning towards more 3-4 style looks and playing more of those bare fronts. And Carlos Dunlap just wasn't the right fit for that. And that's why he saw a huge reduction in snaps. He was really efficient in the second half of the season playing as just a passing down rusher. And he was able to get a bunch of sacks late in the season, end up taking the lead for the team. His overall stat line looks pretty good, but... Early on in the year, he was struggling to produce, and he's getting to be an older player. He was going to be making a decent amount of change this year as well. So I think all those factors went into play. Now, that would be another name I would throw out there. You get past June 1st when the post-June 1st cut designation ends up kicking in. The Seahawks could still at that point reach back out to Carlos Dunlap and say, we'd like to have you back. It would just be as a situational rusher when they're in nickel and dime sets. And it wouldn't be for as much money as he was going to be on the books for this year. I could see that potentially happening. And Dunlap could be back in Seattle this year. But there were a lot of factors at play. And in the price tag that he was going to be on their salary cap with this year, they just weren't going to pay that price with the scheme changes and the players that they were looking for to play those overhang linebacker positions. Just wasn't really a great fit for him. Joey Eastbrook tweets, under Clint Hurts' 3-4 defense, do you expect Alton Robinson or LJ Collier to have more of an impact on the game compared to previous seasons? If I had to lean towards one or the other in this instance, I would still go with Alton Robinson because the flashes that he's had have been really exciting. The problem's been not a lot of playing time. And then last year, I didn't feel like he was near as effective the last nine, 10 games. He was dealing with a bruised knee for a few weeks. And I don't know if that was lingering the rest of the year, but he just wasn't splashing in the pass rusher department. Like we saw it most of his rookie year in limited opportunities. I still think that he can be a quality reserve. I have some questions about him dropping into coverage, playing that outside linebacker position, but in pure pass rushing situations, he could still be a guy that is a factor for the Seahawks. LJ Collier, Missed seven games last year as a healthy scratch. I find it hard to believe things are suddenly going to turn around. Now, maybe this scheme change ends up benefiting him. He has played as a stand-up linebacker in the past at TCU. He could play that three-tech or four-eye technique as a defensive end for the Seahawks in three-four looks potentially and maybe have some value as a pass rusher. But of those two, I think Robinson has the best chance to make an impact this season for the Seahawks. Last question here, Graham Beto tweets, What's your assessment of the potential of the offensive line? Do you think it has top 10 potential if the two picks pan out and they gel? Well, I think down the road, if Charles Cross ends up being the player that the Seahawks believe he can be, and he's a dominant pass protector, performs well in the run game, gets acclimated to a pro-style offense quickly, Charles Cross can be a top five left tackle in the NFL. He's got that kind of upside. He's only 21 years old. You have to develop him, though. So at this point, who knows? how good he's going to end up being in Seattle. That's going to fall on the coaching staff. That's going to fall on him taking to that coaching and being able to adjust to a much different style offense than the one he played in under Mike Leach the last couple of years. But if he gets to that 
level where he's a top five, top six tackle, and Abraham Lucas ends up being a really solid starter right tackle. Those are two huge pieces for this offensive line, and they've still got a young guard in Damian Lewis that I think can be a Pro Bowl caliber guard. Center's still a question mark with Austin Blythe being on a one-year deal. I thought they might draft somebody that spot. They didn't. So it looks like it's going to be Blythe's job, and they're hoping that he can play well and maybe earn a second contract with the team. And Gabe Jackson, now in his 30s, had a decent year last year, still a reliable veteran. I don't know where he fits in long-term, but you put all those pieces together. Could they be a top 10 offensive line? If your two tackles really hit and you really and you really connect on those picks and those guys reach their potential, then a few years from now, yeah, this could be a very good line. I don't know if Gabe Jackson or Austin Blythe's part of that group. I could see him still adding pieces the next couple of years to this front line, but the tackles are a really good pair of foundational pieces for this group that gives them a chance to be that good a year or two down the road. I'm not anticipating that this year because they are going to go through their lumps. We don't even know if Lucas is going to win the starting job. Jake Curhan is going to be a viable competitor at that spot. But if you've got two rookies playing extensive snaps, there will be growing pains. There's going to be challenges with that, but it's going to benefit you in future seasons most likely. So I could see a few years down the road that this line, if they continue to add pieces to it, could be a very good one in 2023, 2024. When I return to the next quarter, speaking of Abraham Lucas, I'm going to break down Seattle's third-round picks, some of his strengths, weaknesses, not going too far from his stomping grounds in Pullman, going back to the Seattle area to play for the team he rooted for growing up. Where does he fit into Seattle's plans this year and beyond? It's almost summertime, and if you're like me, you're going to need quick food for on-the-go. Built Bar is the perfect snack to take on family vacations or whatever summer adventures you have planned. I know when I go hiking at Mount Rainier or other beautiful parks here in the state of Washington, I'll be glad to have a delicious Built Bar to fuel my journey, especially Built Bar Puffs covered in 100% chocolate, amazing flavors like banana cream pie. I'll eat two or three of them in one sitting. You've also got delicious flavors for regular Built Bar. You've got salted caramel, peanut butter brownie, which is my personal favorite, orange cream. They're coming out with new flavors every single month. And not only are they delicious, they're healthy compared to a candy bar. Less than 200 calories, less than five net carbs, less than five grams of sugar, and 17 grams of protein. It's the perfect pre-workout snack, post-workout snack, or if you're like me and going hiking or going on a vacation, it's a nice snack to have that's not going to ruin your diet. So make sure to check out Built.com and use the code LOCK15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, that's LOCK15 at Built.com to get 15% off your next order. You're listening to the Locked On Seahawks podcast, Blue Friday edition. This is your host, Corbin Smith. Thanks, as always, for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. The Seahawks doubled up at the tackle position in the 2022 NFL Draft, and they needed to. Going into this process with Dwayne Brown and Brandon Shell not being re-signed, they had three tackles on the roster with a combined five NFL starts. All five of those starts belong to Jake Curhan, who signed as an undrafted rookie free agent a year ago out of California. He started the last five games, and I thought he played pretty well in those games. But you could tell based on comments made by Pete Carroll at the Combine and before the draft that while they were they were pleased by what they saw from Jake Curhan, they weren't necessarily thinking that's our guy to start at right tackle either. So they wanted to bring in competition, and they absolutely did that by drafting Abraham Lucas at 72 overall 
out of Washington State. Former Archbishop Murphy High School star in Everett, one of the best programs in the state of Washington. So he's a local kid, as he told reporters last week. He watched the Seahawks with his dad all the time. His first memory was that awful Super Bowl 40 loss to the Steelers. Not necessarily a result that anyone that was watching that game enjoyed, but lifelong Seahawks fan. Now he gets the opportunity to play for his hometown team. And there's a lot to like about this kid. Six foot six, 315 pounds. He's a mountain of a man. And he put up some really impressive numbers at the combine, most notably a 4.25 second short shuttle, which is in the 92nd percentile. I mean, this guy is an incredible athlete for his size. Didn't do well in every single event at the combine, but posted a really good 40 time and his short shuttle. That is an elite time for an offensive lineman at 315 pounds. So, you can see that athleticism in pass protection. But like Charles Cross, coming from the air raid system coached by Mike Leach, Abraham Lucas is an outstanding pass protector. Didn't give up a sack last year, according to Pro Football Focus. Only gave up one in the 2020 season. This is a guy that rarely lets his quarterback get hit. Two QB hits allowed in the last two seasons combined. You can see the athletic traits of his ability to slide move laterally and mirror in front of defenders. And he does such a good job of keeping his quarterback clean. So that's something that he's going to bring to the NFL, a great resume as a pass protector. He's been an all-Pac-12 selection each of his four years in college. Last year was a first-team all-Pac-12 pick, and he's gone against some really good pass rushers in the Pac-12 conference. So he's tested in that area. There's a lot to like, particularly the athleticism, using his length well. He does have some issues time to time with balance, and I've noticed that in pass protection as well as run blocking. He gets caught leaning, and if you do that in the NFL, pass rushers are going to eat you alive. So that's something he's going to have to work on. And the leverage game, when you're 6'6", we talked about this all of last year with Stone Forsythe being 6'8". When you're that tall, naturally you're going to lose leverage battles a lot of the time. And so that's something that he is going to be dealing with throughout the entirety of his NFL career, though I didn't think it was as big of an issue for him as what I saw for Stone Forsythe last year. And I certainly think that he's more capable of winning the leverage battle. He's got good technique in that regard. Maybe the biggest surprise for me, when I look at this kid, it's it's easy to watch his pass protection and be enamored because of his athleticism, his light, nimble footwork his ability to mirror, a tough guy to bull rush when his technique is right, his hands and his feet are working in unison. This is not a guy that is easy to push around, and he's a great athlete. But I've really been surprised in the run blocking department. When you go back and watch Washington State games last year, they actually ran the ball a lot more than what they had in the past when Mike Leach was the head coach, and even in the 2020 season, they had almost 400 running plays last year. So Abraham Lucas got a lot more experience as a run blocker, even if it was out of a two-point stance extensively. Never had his hand in the dirt. That's going to be an adjustment for him at the next level. But there's a dog in this kid. He is a violent run blocker. He plays with physicality. John Schneider made a quote that I love, that he may be a man of faith off the field, but you don't see it on the field. And that's the way he plays. He plays with a chip on his shoulder. He plays with a mean streak, and he loves to finish. He will knock defenders into the turf. I think that's his strength in run blocking is his physicality and just getting downhill on people, which is a bit surprising when you consider the athletic traits 
you would think in the zone blocking game, that's where he would really shine. But reach blocks, he's going to be a major work in progress technique-wise for Andy Dickerson and his staff trying to work with him on that because he really struggled to consistently execute reach blocks, particularly backside blocks, which are crucial if you want to be able to hit on big runs in the zone concept game. So those are some areas that he's really going to have to work on. Hand placement and width as far as his base are going to have to be more consistent. That's going to play into his balance issues at the next level. So I look at Abraham Lucas coming to the league, four-year starter from Washington State. He is a proven commodity in pass protection. He is polished in that regard. There are some technical issues that need to be cleaned up. That, to me, is the biggest thing. So is he going to be ready to start on day one? That remains to be seen. This, to me, is a 50-50 thing because I did like what Jake Curhan did last year in the five starts that he had, and he really played well in the run game. Pass protection, he was behind a step. There were certainly some big misses there. He's got some room to improve in that regard. But I think in the run game department, he's ahead of the curve compared to Abraham Lucas. Now, Lucas has more upside, and he can make up that ground very quickly on the ground, particularly if he cleans up his footwork when it comes to reach blocks and just zone blocking in general. If he's able to take his athletic gifts and translate it better into those concepts, he is going to pass Jake Curhan pretty quickly. So we'll see how fast that happens, but it's possible that he could be starting in week one. This also might be one of those cases where Jake Curhan wins the job and then we get a few weeks into the season, if Curran's not playing well, that they turn to the rookie, or it just could be a case where Jake Curran's just keeping the seat warm, and then when the Seahawks are truly comfortable in putting Abraham Lucas into the lineup, then they will make it happen. And so I think at some point in the 2022 season, we will see Lucas out there. I'm not going to guarantee right now that he's going to be starting in week one because there are some question marks with technique, particularly in the run game, that he's going to have to clean up. You know, his pass protection is going to be challenged as well. Going against NFL guys, particularly some of the players the Seahawks have, like Daryl Taylor and Boye Mafe, those are going to be really good tests for him on the practice field to see if his success at Washington State translates into an NFL-style offensive scheme. I think that he's going to be fine. The Seahawks obviously don't have reservations about his ability to work out of a three-point stance. He showed he could do it at this. He showed he could do it at the Senior Bowl. So. This gives him a great opportunity to play early. I just don't know if it'll be week one. Jake Curran's a worthy competitor for him, and maybe even Stone Forsythe can be thrown in there. He got some snaps in games last year at right tackle as well. So this could end up being a three-player competition with Charles Cross being the starter immediately on day one on the left side. And if he's able to get extensive snaps this year and improve as his rookie season goes on again, Seattle should be really excited about the future with two bookends that could that really could be your foundational building blocks for that offensive line for the next decade. And with all the instability Seattle's had in the offensive line for several years, that would be a very welcome development heading into this new era of Seahawks football. As always, you can follow me on Twitter at Corbin Smith NFL. Thanks for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. And make sure to check out the Locked On NFL podcast for your second listen. The schedule may be getting dark as we've moved on from the the schedule may be getting dark as we moved on from the draft, but the NFL never stops and neither does Locked On NFL. Get insights and opinions from hosts, including Ross Jackson, Chris Carter, and Tony Wiggins, plus local Locked On NFL hosts repping all 32 squads. There's no offseason for real fans, so make sure you're subscribed to Locked On NFL on YouTube. 
and wherever you get podcasts. Make sure to check out the Locked On Seahawks podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We're streaming five days a week on YouTube as well. Coming up on Monday, I'll be rejoined by my co-host Rob Rang, and the two of us will be breaking down some observations from Seattle's three-day rookie minicamp and continuing our Inside the Seahawks draft series with fourth-round pick Kobe Bryant. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your weekend. Go Hawks.